God bless you. Um, give them something that will settle them down. And I mean, you know, not candy, spankings. Yeah, the good kids. They only need I I only need it once or twice a day, you know. It just it, everything was good. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We have been been talking about, and I, and I'm gonna tell you it. It's beginning to, you know, the revelation of God. It it changes your life. And I know that information is not transformation. Just because you're informed about a thing doesn't mean it's going to change you at all. But when the Spirit of God bears witness with the Word of God in our heart, um, it begins to, let's just say it begins to modify our life. And I've got a good life. Has everybody got a good life out there in Jesus? And then the Lord comes along and says, well, I, wanna, I want to expand on that a little bit and uh, just, just, just broaden your scope a little bit. And it's beautiful. We thank the Lord for it. We're always looking for it. All of our preachers are looking for that. God, just give me that, you know, that, that little, we used to call them, we used to call them nuggets. And if everybody, anybody's ever been gold panning, you know what that's about, you know, you do a lot of pan and don't find anything, but if you can just find that one little nugget, you that ensures you'll be back. And this is the word of God that you find that one little thing that just begins to bear in your spirit and and let it just begin to cultivate something in you that begins to transform some stuff in your life. It doesn't mean you become super Christian. It just begins to illuminate something in you and, and, and just blesses your soul, blesses your life. And so we've been working in this. When we begin to call him rabbi, and I've never taught about this in my life. I never have really thought too much about it. I've heard people mention it, and we may have mentioned it, at, you know, in passing. But thinking about him as being the rabbi, it just it brings a different relevance to a relationship in him. I think sometimes we're looking at something that's too far out there to get. That relationship that I just can't quite get to that place. But when I think about the rabbi and his select group, we call them disciples. At the church, we call it discipleship. We had a group of disciples and a focus upon that. And it was just like, you're in that group. And it's something, you know, that you, you feel um, there's leaders. There's and, and with Jesus, and I just want to be in his group. Can you say amen? I want to be in his group. Let me just pose a question to you. Do you think the Lord loved the first century people more than he loves us? Because they were, you know, it seemed like they were special and select, and, and Jesus handpicked them, you know, his disciples, 12 of them. Just went and just handpicked them. And sometimes it seemed like he just, he just loves them more than he loves us. Anybody here feel like you're handpicked this morning? Because <laughs> uh, sometimes I don't feel that way, amen? It's like, you know, Jesus sent me and said, I want you. <laughs> Put down your nets, Peter. So. But I can't see that the Lord loved them more than he loves his church generation after generation. So would you think that God would love us, the Lord would love us, His church, His body, His people, and treasure us just as much as the first century church? And so I have to say amen to that this morning. I believe He does. I believe He does. And so what I'm going to preach this morning, I'm going to touch on that a little bit. But I want to go, it's kind of a strange like, place to start. 
But if you would, go with me to the book of Acts in the second chapter. I want to start in this first verse of the second chapter of Acts. Here we are. They are all in one place. And I would say basically these are the believers. Probably everyone that believes in Jesus right now is in this room. The words got out. The Lord said, go wait in Jerusalem. And so the word traveled. How did 120 get there? They all, somebody told them. And so the word went out and out and out. And uh, yet you have to understand that gathering together was a danger for them. I mean, they had just crucified Jesus just earlier, the month before. And it is still, they are still inflamed. They hate him. They hate his name. They hate his gospel. And they hate those who are trusting in him. And so them together, together in this room is not like us this morning coming together. There's no danger for us. We can come and sit in peace and, you know, it's, it's just not like that there. But they're gathered in this room. They're, they're intent about being there. A lot's been said. I think somebody, I think Brother Chris mentioned this just a few weeks ago about the togetherness that was in that room. And if we could ever get to one place with one mind, I mean, what would the Lord do in that? Yes, amen. But let's just uh, read this first verse. And the King James Version says, And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And so I'm going to read you uh, J.P. Green's translation, uh, literal Greek translation. And in the fulfilling of the day of Pentecost. So that's a little different thought. That when the day of Pentecost had fully come, like calendar. Now we're just doing a calendar thing. When the day of Pentecost, they've been counting down the days. Hey, you know, when the day of Pentecost fully come. But, but really this, the scripture says in the fulfilling of the day of Pentecost. And so we're going to work on that a little bit this morning. And, and hopefully the Lord will touch you. Jesus, Lord, we thank you. Your word is precious to us, Lord. Your word is precious to us. There was one place in the old scripture that said, and the word of God was precious to them at that time. And Lord, may it be precious to us this morning. Lead us and guide us and help us to understand your will, your way, your purpose, your intent for our life. And we'll give you glory, Jesus. Everyone say amen. 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 When the day had arrived, the day of Pentecost. I don't think the emphasis here needs to be so much on the word Pentecost. Okay, I'm break something down and how many were raised Pentecostal? Well, we got a few, you know. How many grew up in this church? And you say, okay, you're Pentecostal. <laughs> so, but Pentecost is a New Testament word, not an Old Testament word. Pentecost was the fulfilling of the prophecies of the ancients. Moses and the different prophets that set in order the feast day, the high day that they would come together on this day and the New Testament called it Pentecost. The reason why it's called Pentecost is because it is 50 days from the day of Passover. Now, my only insight in this, why is it 50 days? So the crops could grow and then they could, they could celebrate um, the new harvest. Well, I don't think that's enough. There's nothing spiritual in that. Can you say amen? How many remembers that Jesus said, 
he forgave sin, healed a person, and he said, I want you to know that the Lord, the Son of Man, is the Lord of the Sabbath. He did it on a Sabbath. And so they were all mad and upset. But he said, I want you to know that the Lord is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, now God set up way back with Moses, and, and this whole thing begins to come forward from Moses. God establishes Passover. We know what that's about. Exodus out of Egypt, the slain of the lamb, putting the blood over the doorpost. We identify with that Passover. We know the Lord died on Passover, that his blood was shed for the many. We, we understand that. Then the day of Pentecost wasn't just another day to get together and, and be thankful for the first fruits and the first harvest. But it was called the Feast of Weeks. And what's interesting about this, and I went through this here some time ago, but, but I feel like doing it again, so if you'd be patient. It is the Scripture that the Passover fell on the Sabbath that year. And then if we go back to Moses and what he said about the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Seven Weeks. Seven weeks are how many days? Come on, one of you scholars. Huh? Any? Seven weeks are, there's a smart boy right here. Forty-nine days. But if you start on a Sabbath, and then you go 49 days, you hit seven Sabbaths. Of course, the Sabbath is the seventh day, right? Seven Sabbaths, and I'm going to make this thing full, he says. And so beginning with, and I don't know, you know, Seven being the perfection of God, the days of creation and rest, the rest of man, the Lord of the Sabbath. And it's all, here we go again. It, it's not about an Old Testament church. It's about the birthing of what God wants to do in perfection in the new church. And so he'll just take everything out of the Old Testament. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, so the Passover is going to be on the Sabbath, and then that'll be the first day, and then the eighth day is the next Passover. The 15th day would be the next Passover. The 22nd day would be the next Passover. The 29th would be the next. The 36th would be the next. The 43rd would be the next. The 50th day. That's why it's called Pente, or in the Greek, 50, Pentecost, the 50th day, which actually was you take Sabbath and you, you number it. He said you number it, you number those days. And so it was God's plan of perfection. I believe God took all the Sabbaths and put them all together. And it all culminated in one day, and that was for the cause of the birth of the church. Can you say amen? And so when the day of Pentecost had fully come, it's not so much about the day or the word Pentecost, but it's about the fulfilling of which God wanted to do from the time of Moses to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is foretelling what God will do in the day of Pentecost, the seven of the sevens of the Sabbaths, God is going to, to count it. And that final seventh Sabbath from the Passover, John the Baptist says this, and he shall baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Can you say amen? When you look at it as a culmination of what God had started way back in Exodus, it makes better sense for us than to just say, well, God just, you know, he, he just 
poured out his spirit, and, and then we just celebrate Pentecost, and we're all Pentecostals. No, it's a representation of something that God wanted to do. Not just willy-nilly, and this is what goes on with Pentecost. Those of you that's been raised in Pentecost, God bless you. I'm glad you're still here. For all the things that we've been through and seen and witnessed and people have taught and preached and done, and it's, it's amazing some of the things that's been called Holy Ghost. There has been this sort of a, 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 a freelance operation of whatever spirit seems to hit the building. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not going to pick on people, but the Bible does not record holy rollers except those that were demon-possessed. Now, I'm not saying if you've, I'm not saying you're demon-possessed, but, but that I'm not going to be called a holy roller. No. If that's what the identification of being Pentecostal is, then I'm not Pentecostal. Do people go down sometimes? Does the Lord move on them down? Fine. But that's not my identification. I'm not, I'm not going to be called a shouter and a, and a tongue talker. That's, that's not my identification. I've got a different identification. I'm in the group of disciples that belong to the rabbi. He's still leading. And so all the things that's come out of this, all the things that's happened with Pentecost, and we talk about Pentecostals and all that stuff that's going on, I think we miss the whole idea is that God has planned that he purposed that way back in Moses. He purposed it probably before the foundation of the world. But in Moses, Exodus, the 34th chapter, he's on the mountain, and God begins to reveal to him some things that really aren't about Israel. They're about the church. And so we glean from the knowledge of what happened way back when God planned in the beginning. Amen. I have to say this, that I think it's the book of Hebrews that said, angels desired to look into what's going on with this. But they could only look into it because God had prepared something from the foundation. Wow. So again, does God love the early church more than He loves the latter church? You know, what things have changed? What things have changed? I think we've changed. I don't think God has changed. I don't think His purpose has changed. I don't think the church era has changed. But certainly we've taken some cues, if you will, from what we call spots, places in the New Testament that we draw from instead of taking the whole. I was talking to Kay the other day, and some of the question that we have in, 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 in denomination and religion is that, that we have taken one thing and we've set our hat on that, and that means everything to us, and we haven't taken the whole counsel and word of God and put it together so that we don't just hang our hat on one thing. And it's, I'll tell you, when we do that, we're, we're going to go into things that God never ordained for the church. And so the whole counsel of God, this is why God doesn't deliver it to one man. Something we said last Sunday when we were just meeting there, and, and I just felt like reading that scripture that said, don't call anybody father. And it wasn't talking about your, you know, your, your father, natural birth father, but don't call anybody father in this earth. And don't call anybody master teacher because we have a master teacher. And don't call anybody rabbi in this life, in this spiritual arena that we live in. Because we have one rabbi. God has not delivered this, never intended to deliver this to a popish system. The papal system is antichrist. 
It exalts a man, makes him the voice of God. But God has ordained many preachers, many pastors, many evangelists, many prophets, that even in this body right here, we weigh one against another so that we don't err in the truth of the gospel. Can you say amen? So we can't just hang our hat on Pentecost and say, well, we're Pentecost. Now, now whatever Pentecost does, that's who we are. And whatever they think, whatever the, the, the mantra about Pentecost, that's what we, who we are. No, I refuse to do that. I identify with Pentecost in that it was what God had planned to the beginnings of what we call the church age. But certainly, I cannot identify with everything that goes on under under the auspices of Pentecost. We do the same thing with holiness. Same thing. Churches around here, that they've hung their shingle. Their shingle says holiness. Holiness church. What does that mean? The word holiness means, means to be separate. Well, if you're not separate from the world, you're not part of Him anyway. Every body of Christ is holiness. Now, if you're saying that holiness is that, that when we come to church on Sunday, we don't wear a beard. I don't know if you've noticed, but I became holiness this week. Somebody said, boy, you're going holiness. I said, yeah, right, right, right. So, no, just till the winter, you know. But if we're going to hang our shingle on that we don't wear beards, the world, the devil's folks can do that. That's nothing. We're going to hang our shingle on, we wear certain things, wear a suit on Sunday morning, or, or I, do a, I, I look a certain way. If you're going to hang your shingle on that, the world can do that too. And you can sit in church and end up in hell because really you put your heart into something that God has not designed for you to live in. And all your effort and all your time and, and goes into I'm holiness or I'm Pentecost. That's not, I am in Christ. Christ is in us. I am in Him. I live and I move and I breathe because of Jesus Christ in my life. And so, but the coming of the day of Pentecost or the fullness of that time when we arrived at Pentecost, I believe there was an imperative importance to the kingdom. We believe, and we have taught, and we believe this still, that it was the birthing of the church. And I believe that it was the birthing of the church. That at that moment, everything that God had designed. See, I've, I've told you, and I talked a few Sundays ago about the real. The real is not the Old Testament. The real is the design of God in the New Testament. That's the real. And at this moment... God, what God had designed in the ages came to pass. It was birthed in that moment by the outpouring of His Spirit. And so the importance was the birth of the church, but also it was the birthing of the kingdom of God. Let's, let's, let's don't get wrong about the concept of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not in the hereafter after a rapture sometime and a, and a third coming or second coming or whatever, and we're coming back to the earth, and there the kingdom of God's going to be set up. Peter didn't know about this. He, he said, because the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night, and the heavens and the earth shall be burnt with fervent heat. So I don't, he didn't understand uh, the concept. And, and it took, you know, men to, to explain to us things that aren't in the Scripture. And 99% of religion teaches that. The only thing that doesn't teach that, the Bible. The kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus said. There are you, those of you standing here this morning, Jesus said, who will not die until you see the kingdom of God come in fullness. And that was those very ones that were there on the day of Pentecost. The kingdom was birthed. 
And I don't know how we're separating the church from the kingdom. It's synonymous terms. It's synonymous terms. The church isn't one thing and the kingdom another. The kingdom and the church are together. The church is the gathering of the ecclesia, which is the kingdom of God in the earth. Say, boy, we're just waiting to the time that Jesus rules. He rules right now. He is still ruling in his church. That's where his kingdom is. It doesn't come with observation. Jesus said, my kingdom doesn't come with observation. You won't even know when it gets here because you can't see it. My kingdom is in the hearts of the people that love me. And so his kingdom was birthed. Can you say amen to that? His kingdom was birthed. How are we doing so far? Are we okay? Don't get distracted yet. We're getting some good stuff here. So yesterday when I was in prayer, I just wrote this down. The Lord just, I was, had my phone and was just punching this down because the Lord just was speaking this to me. Up until the day of Pentecost had fully come, God had restricted and limited his relationship with men to the house of Jacob, to the old kingdom of Israel. Give me a prophet that is not of the house of Jacob. Downtown Jerusalem is the meeting place. Not Iraq and Iran and down the road somewhere up in Rome. No, no. God is working exclusively in and among the house of Jacob. There may be an exception somewhere, but they come into the house of Jacob. The old kingdom is about the house of Jacob. God is working through his prophets there. He's not working across the oceans. He's not working in other nations. He's working in the house of Jacob up until this time, until the day of Pentecost had come full. And then the day comes, the day arrives. They come out of that upper room and they are preaching the gospel in languages of all the nations that are represented in Jerusalem. These men and women that have been born in other nations and have come to Jerusalem for the feast, they are Jews, they are worshiping at the temple, they've come here, and then it begins to name off the languages. And I didn't put them all down, you can read them yourself, just go on in second chapter of Acts, and it will talk about all those languages. And, and it wasn't trying to cut out any language, it was just talking to those that were there. See, here's what happened at the day of Pentecost. This is God's plan. It's that He has this thing restricted. He has this, I come to the lost house or the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And it's all restricted and confined and it's down to just the house of Jacob. But on the day of Pentecost, at the fullness of time, at the fullness of the Sabbath, at the fullness of God's appointment, on that day, he blows that thing open so that it's not about an old kingdom anymore. It's about a new kingdom that this gospel is going to cover the face of the earth and the kingdom will not be made up of Jews even though some of them will believe. But this kingdom will be a people that turn and render their heart to God regardless who they are, what they are, what country they're from, what color they are, what race, what ethnicity, or what language they speak. That is the fullness of the day of Pentecost. Not, I speak in tongues. And so we're some of the preachers down here, and I, I don't want you to get this wrong, that when God moves in the speaking of tongues, it is supernatural. I 100% believe in it. 100%. My Uncle Skip, I'll use him. We, we've done this before, but my Uncle Skip who's in Mexico, has been praying with people. They're down seeking the Lord. And they begin to praise the Lord in English. Don't know a word of English. That, my friends, is the speaking 
in other languages. See, that carries a purpose. But just jabbering in a, in a tongue does not carry a purpose. But speaking to proselyte Jews that the gospel is leaving, you can take it home with you. You don't have to come here anymore. The feast days are over. The males of, of uh, every Jewish family do not have to appear anymore three times a year because I'm breaking this thing open now. You're going to say that, that, that God is going to meet you in this mountain and they're going to say that God is going to meet you in this temple, but there comes a day and a time when God is going to meet with those that worship Him in spirit and in truth. He's breaking it out. It's not about Israel anymore. It's not about an old kingdom. It's not about old prophets. It's about a church that has been blood-bought and washed and calls the Lord their rabbi and their king. There's the ones that God is going to pour out his spirit upon and I thank God for that because we wouldn't be here otherwise if you wanted to be connected to God you would three times have to three times a year take a journey to Jerusalem but thank God he broke it out can you say man so I'm still reading you didn't know that but I'm still reading speaking in tongues was not necessarily to spiritually validate those who received. Watch out right there. I'm not going to allow you to have received the gift of the Holy Spirit until I hear you speak some words in language I don't understand. Your receiving the Holy Spirit has absolutely nothing to do with me. I don't get to say you got it. I don't get to say you didn't get it. Well, I didn't hear him speak. That's none of your business. Anybody else tired of that? So I get to tell you if you have it because, and now we take a step further, if you don't speak in tongues and I don't hear you, you're not saved. So I get to tell you whether you're saved or not. See, this is the work of men who have hung their hat on something other than the gospel. And we're just going to bust it down. You know, I'm a builder, but sometimes I have to take the sledgehammer out, and there's some things that just aren't right. We need to smash it down first, then we'll rebuild it. And so uh, maybe that's what we're doing this morning. Amen. Do we have it's only 1130, and so we are so ahead of the rest of the churches. We try and get out first so we can get to the restaurants first. Amen. Until you've tried to get in there with about 15 people, you don't know what I'm talking about. So speaking in tongues will not necessarily to spiritually validate those that received. That may be it to them. But as much as it was to reveal that the Holy Spirit of the Rabbi Yeshua Jesus had been poured out to all kindreds, all tribes, all tongues, and all ethnicities and was accessible to all people by the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in an Old Testament, before the birthing of the kingdom, before the birthing of the church in the Old Testament, no, it wasn't about the gospel of Jesus Christ, but in the New Testament, you can go. And so Jesus said, go into all nations and make disciples. Can you say amen? He didn't say make, make people just believe, make them recognize. He said make disciples. A disciple is one that comes into the fold of the rabbi. Amen. 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 And so uh, let's go on. Let's go on. The rabbi disciple master servant order was meant to stay in place perpetually. So I, you you probably this might be this might be a, a little bit of you know something that you never really thought about or received. But I've been talking about it, so I want you to receive it. The rabbi disciple order did not get over. Well, you know Jesus called the twelve, and 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 they did, and then then we got into the church. The rabbi disciple order. 
is set perpetually. The master-servant order. It's set. He set it while he was here on earth. When he ascended into glory and came back in spirit, he manifested it spiritually. He manifested it in the flesh. This is what it looks like. This is what it would be in the flesh. If God were to put on clothes, if he were to put on flesh and dwell among us, this is what it looks like, the rabbi and his disciples. And yet that pattern went over into the spiritual, and it is still the rabbi and his disciples. We haven't entered into an era now. I'm in charge. Now I have got myself spirit-filled, and I'm ready to do some stuff. I'm just going to simply tell you this, that without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. I think we've had the wrong idea about being spirit-filled. That it props me up, it makes me something big, it makes me something beyond everybody else gives me some kind of prowess and spiritual power that I can go and do. Now I want to bring that down a little bit because the rabbi, disciple, master, servant order was meant to stay in place perpetually. Everyone coming under one name. Can you say amen? Because there's only one name given among men whereby we must be saved. Why don't you just forget the other name stuff? You don't need any other names. Well, I want to call. No, don't worry about that. There is one name given among men that we can be saved by. There's one name that we live under. There's one rabbi, not three. There's just one rabbi. There's just one leader. There's just one name. There's just one God, one Father of us all. And His name is Jesus the Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. That's it. There is nowhere else to go. He is the person of God. So, well, I'm just going to quit being rabbi now and give it to them. Here you go. Let me just give you some power, give you some stuff. You know, we're given to us all the keys of the kingdom, and whatsoever we bind will be bound on earth. No, whatsoever has been bound in heaven that you bind will be bound on earth. You didn't bind it yourself. It's already bound in heaven. And those keys, listen, those keys aren't for you to open, open and just just have your way with, but those are keys of what the kingdom is about and all the power and glory stays in the possession of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't hand the church a blank check. I'm not doing that anymore. I don't believe that he hands the church a blank check. I believe that he holds the church in check because he's still the rabbi. Can you say amen? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. I'm going slow, kind of doing some teaching here. The gift or the promise of the Holy Spirit of God. Watch this now. Watch this. Is the call to come into the following of Rabbi Jesus. It's the call. Well, I was wanting the gift. You know, power, anointing, all that stuff. All the goodies. That's what I want. You know, I'm Pentecostal. Speak in tongues. As far as I can tell in Scripture, the promise, the gift. The gift is not for you to do exploits. The gift is the call for you to become one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. I know you've never heard that before. I know that, you know, might take a minute to sink in. But I'm going to say it's equal to the call that Jesus made to the 12 original apostles, disciples, when he said, come and follow me. This is the gift. Those men could have never experienced a greater gift than Jesus saying, you come and follow me. 
That's the greatest gift on earth. He couldn't give them a bucket of money and, and, and things and stuff and, and position and power. No. When he said, come and follow me, the greatest gift of God there possibly could be. And I myself, I don't know where you're at, but I myself have one desire. I've always said this. I only want God to look at me and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But I've got to get into the place where I'm a servant before that can happen. And so the call for me to be a servant is the gift of God. That is the call of the Holy Spirit of God in my life. The Holy Spirit is calling us, come and follow me. Come and walk with me. Come and learn of me. Come be one of my appointed hands selected disciples it's to each of you it's not to the whole church it's to each of you and to as many as are afar off who the Lord our God shall call it's the call it's just as if Jesus walked in here this morning and said I want you and I want you and I want you to come and follow me. And when it's all said and done, I just want to say, Lord, I know I've had mistakes. How many of you have some mistakes occasionally in your life? The rest of you are so perfect, you know. Lord, I have a few mistakes in, your, in my life. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to follow you. That's my heart. That's my desire. That's my, that's my life goal is to follow Jesus, to be one of his disciples and servants before him. There isn't anything greater. And so the gift of God, <laughs> to as many as the Lord our God shall call, that gift is just as powerful as it was to the first century church. But pastor, you know, the book of Acts, you read about the first century church and they had all these miracles, signs and wonders and things happen. I want to time out just for a minute. That book wasn't written the first week. It wasn't written the first year. Many, many, many years had passed that Luke took up pen and began to report on the things that had happened. This was a collection of things that had happened over years. I want you to know that in this very church right here, that if we took record of things that have happened, of people that God has healed, of people that God has saved, of drunkards that God has delivered, of a drug addicts that God has changed, we could write something down that would appear to be like the book of Acts because God is still the first century church. They were his favorite. But the 2022nd uh, year is still his favorite. He loves this church just as much as he loved that church. The call, the cry to his church is just as powerful in this century as it was in the first century. God is still into his church. That's what he's doing in the earth. He's not doing anything else. He's living in his church and in his kingdom. Can you say amen? Somebody tell me to stop when it's time. It's not time yet. So here we go. Wake up. If you were watching TV, you'd be so alert. You'd be like, I don't want to miss that. <laughs> what do you say right there? So, so returning, i got to share this. Returning from desolate California. Um, sorry, Jeremy. You're going back there. <laughs> it was a little depressing. You know, they've cut all the water off, and it's it's dry. It went by our old neighborhood, and it's just, I just almost shed a tear, just sad. But, you know, it is what it is. But we're getting the plane. We're coming back, and it happened to be uh, now in the evening. And uh, we didn't land until, what, 10, 10 o'clock. And we begin to come over, and I'm looking. And Reagan's sitting beside me, and I'm trying to name, you know, that's how I am. I'm, trying to name, well, that, I'm like my Uncle Skip. Well, that must be. Um, Dallas, that must be, you know, I have no idea, but, you know, it's fun anyway. And we're going over cities, and, oh, man, there's a big one. That much. We finally figured out that was Wichita, right? Where's Reagan at? We figured out that was Wichita, and, and oh, man, well, well, where's, you know, so we're looking, and where, where's Tulsa? <laughs> where's Tulsa? We need Tulsa, and so, you know, we're finding, oh, there's the lights, you know, and, and it dawned on me. 
how could the Lord hear me when we just passed over millions of people and hear my one single cry and prayer? Let me tell you how. I must go away. Because if I do not go away, what you're going to have is one man in one place at one time. But if I go away, I will come again unto you. And when I do, I will make my habitation with you individually. He's not only in one place at one time physically, but he is here this morning. He can hear my voice because he is my personal rabbi. He can hear my need this morning because he has broke this thing down. He has opened it up so that he is everywhere at one time. And he's here this morning. And he's in Mexico this morning. And he's in China this morning. The same rabbi, the same Jesus, hears every voice. It is expedient for you that I go away. Because if I go away, I'm coming back to you. Isn't that beautiful? So I'm up there in the plane thinking, Lord, I know you hear my voice, but how do you hear me? Because that great rabbi, he's not over only over everything, but he sees each one of his disciples personally. Can you say amen to that? Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The Spirit Rabbi is guiding us in godliness and holiness. Thank you, Brother Dustin, been teaching about this. The Spirit of our Rabbi, so we don't go opposite of Jesus. You know, Holy Spirit's going to lead us somewhere. No, no, no. Uh-uh, no, never. It's the Holy Spirit of Christ, and He will lead us and guide us into all things that he has already delivered to us. That's what he told his disciples. For this cause, the heart of the devil, Satan, is to discourage, is to distort, propagandize the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I was a kid, you know, and I still do it sometimes, and I know, you know, some of you all do too, so... I, something goes wrong, and I'm working, and, and it's just so frustrating. I just, you devil! But really, you know, I don't think that's where he's putting his effort, right? <laughs> You're flattening my tire, you demon. I was driving my tractor, my thing the other day, cutting the lawn. That devil just knocked the air out of my tire. You devil! But I don't really think that's, that's where he's at. I think he's trying to distort He hates the gospel because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. And so if he can distort the gospel, now stay with me for a few minutes. If he can distort it, he's taking the power out of it. Because if you don't believe a true gospel, then what you have is not true. If he can propagandize somehow and man, he's at work doing that. If you don't believe that, there's a lot. Just go anywhere. There's a lot of people preaching and teaching a lot of things that do not come out of Scripture. And so if he can inflict damage in any way to take away from the real, and, and that's, that's what my heart is this morning. I'm not trying to bring Pentecost in a bad light. I'm not trying to bring holiness in a bad light. I'm not trying to bring speaking in in. Uh, languages by the Spirit of God in a bad light. That's not what I'm trying to do. But what I'm trying to say is that if he can distort all that and we lose the meaning of that and the function of that like God had originally laid down when he birthed the church and the kingdom, what he had uh, decided for the kingdom or planned or purpose for the kingdom, if he, can, if he can just confuse us about that, he can get us off on a tangent somewhere. If you think you're going to heaven, and, and I always, this, this term kind of gets me anyway. We're trying to get people into heaven. I'm not trying to get anybody into heaven here. I'm trying to get, a, get you into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that where he is, you may be also. 
And that's what we're going to call heaven. Amen? Well, if I do this and that, don't do that, and do this, then I'll go to heaven. Who told you that? I'm looking for that relationship that where he is, there I may be also. Come on. Oh, what a hope. Don't let your hearts be troubled. It's part of John 14. I'm going away. Don't, don't get down because I'm doing this that where I am, there you may be also. I'm still going to be there. I'm still going to be with you. And I'm going to go. I'm your rabbi whether you go through sickness or not. I'm your rabbi whether you go through some down times financially. Whether, whether things don't look right. Whether, whether, whether some of our kids don't act right. I'm still your rabbi. That where I am, there you may be. Also trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. He is good. He is right. I'm trusting Jesus for my life. And in that way, when things go a little bit crooked and, and I don't, things I don't get what I want, he's still my rabbi. He's still my rabbi. So if Satan can distort this and take this down to, to physical things, he's got a gospel of prosperity. And it comes off as though it is scriptural. It is so anti-scriptural. It is so not about the kingdom of God. He comes off with this love thing and it appears to us that this is God is love. And so love and love outdoes and love would never destroy anybody. Love would never send anybody to hell. Love. And we come into universalism because this great love of God is just so great and so loving and so great. And really he's just distorting the true picture of the gospel. Does God love? Yes, he loves. But does he judge? Yes, he judges. See, we're just going to see one facet. We're going to hang our hat on grace. We're going to hang our hat on grace so that when I fail and go out and do what I want to do, this grace just covers me and I don't have to change my life and I don't have to live right because this grace just covers me and I, I hang my hat on that. See, if the devil can distort the gospel, that's all he needs to do. He doesn't need to come to you and say, I'm taking you out to the nightclub. I'm taking you out here and you're going to have affairs and you're going to do That's not what he has to do. All he has to do is distort the true gospel and get people to believe that. And he has been successful at hurting the church. And I'm going to say he's been successful. How many of you know some people that you really know that they, they used to serve the Lord, but they've come into another level now. They've got some new revelation, and it's not godly. I know many. And so God is not leaving his design. Can you say Amen. So many who are attempting to revise and reform the structure of the 2,000-year-old church with a variety, variations of the gospel so that we can get re relevance to our age, to our people. I'm going to tell you what, God is not becoming relevant to you. You need to become relevant to Him. You need to get in His world. Can you say amen? Sorry to say, not enough heat has been taken to the warning of Jude. Contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. What do you think the word contend means? You just let it go? Oh, it'll all pan out. No, uh-uh. It won't pan out. We contend to hold to that true gospel of Jesus Christ. Because certain men have crept in unaware. We didn't even know, but they're here. That's every generation of the church. That's not just, that's, every, that's a second generation. The second generation began in the second century to spew out things about God and definitions about God and, and, and Trinitarianism beliefs and spew that out in the church even though the church immediately rejected it. They begin to accept it and then finally after a course of years and years and years it becomes the accepted. I'm not accepting anything but what God poured out on the day of Pentecost in the first century church and I'm going back there. Because that is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, it's little wonder that the woke movement has now reached denominations and organizations. You think it's not on us? Every one of these conventions now, the biggest Baptist convention, what did they just vote on and forgot? Southern Baptists. 
it shocked me what they had voted into order. And I forget right offhand, there's so much garbage, I forget right now what it was. But it just shocked me. Wouldn't condemn abortion anymore. Really? The next step is going to be the distortion of the family. Believe me. And then, like the Presbyterians, well, if they love each other, you know, man on man, woman on woman, it's, it's just, they just love. And then the next time they come and they, they ordain that women now that are lesbians can pastor in their churches. And, and it's not just with Presbyterian. It's all down through denomination and order. Because I'm going to tell you this. When you try to please men, when you hang your hat on something that God never instituted for the church, that's why we've got to stay and contend with the faith that was once delivered to the saints. There's not another deliverance of the faith. We've got to go backwards and get where God delivered it to the church. And we're going to stay there and stand in that. Amen. I'm closing. You probably don't realize it, but I'm closing. And so um, I've long said the church morphs into and looks like the civil government around it. The first century church began to morph. By the third century, they had a pope. They had bishops, which looked like the senate which looked like the Caesar and the Senate because that's what they lived in. That's what they became. And if we're not careful, that's exactly what we become. This current administration seeks to destroy the very documents that this country was built on to replace our Bill of Rights with a new form of justice that we don't even recognize and to demonize those who just want to hold on to the original Constitution. Now you are a demon to them. Just because you want to hold fast to what was once delivered. Now I'm going to tell you, as this thing goes, and as denomination goes, and as organization goes, and as government goes, it's going to get harder and harder to hold on to what was once delivered to the church. But by the help of God, this little crew right here, and if we grow, good. But it's only going to be because we're staying right where we're at. We're not appealing to the people of Claremore. I'm not appealing to the government. I'm not appealing to those around about us who want to set a different standard. We are going to preach this word. We're going to stay in this word. We're going to walk in this word. We're going to defend this word that was once delivered to the church. Let me finish here. It, it was and always will be this way. God, Father, and His children. God, the Lord, the Master, and His servants. God, the great Rabbi, and His disciples, Yeshua. His kingdom has been established. Exodus 34 has come to pass. Isaiah 9 has come to pass. Let me take the words of Abraham Lincoln in the Gettysburg Address. We stood there in Gettysburg, and I stood there with Charlie, tears running down his face. He spoke about this country. He spoke about by the people, for the people, of the people. He spoke all those truths. And then he said something at the end of it that just really the church needs to, needs to have the same heart, the same thought of this country, may it never perish from the earth. Is there a chance? Jesus said, when I come again, will I find faith? Is there a chance that the enemy's distortion and tricks and wiles can so get the church sidetracked that we leave the very rabbi who is head of all things? I say, God forbid, may, may the church never perish from the face of the earth. Can you say amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? God bless you so much. Thank you. I may have preached a little long, but I was having fun. I don't know if any of you were, but we were just, I, I, I'm enthused about, about this rabbi.
Oh, what a, what a great dimension in spiritual fellowship with him. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We honor you, Jesus, right now. Lord, I bore my heart and said all that you give me to say this morning. I pray that you will just, Lord, bring it into our spirit. Bring it into us, Lord, that these words this morning, oh God, precious words of God, precious words of your gospel. And we'll thank you for it, Jesus. Everyone said amen.